right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to the well here at STSA. If you're just joining us here for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, you're coming in in the middle of a series called Family Matters, where we open every week by showing pictures of our church family because it's so much fun to show pictures of our church family. And that's the easiest way to get people's attention, to show pictures of themselves. But more than just seeing pictures of ourselves, we're talking about what it means to be a member of this family. And we talked about from the very beginning is that being a member of the church family is more impactful for your life than your earthly family. And we kind of talked about the difference between how our earthly family unites us by blood, but our spiritual family unites us by blood of Christ. Okay, we may have similar personalities with our earthly family, but we have similar spirit of God with our spiritual family. And it's a spiritual family that's going to last forever. So for us, we talk about the spiritual family as the one that's going to impact us more in our lives. And what we're talking about here in this series is we're seeing what does it mean to be a member of this church family, this particular church right here. Because when this church first started back in 2012, we went through the time and the effort and really God inspired the whole process to come up with 10 core values. And we say that this is our expectation of one another and of ourselves. So what does it mean to be a member of the STSA family? These 10 core values. And every time I talk about them, okay, I get excited because I see that there's so much really inspired by God. Is it a little bit dark in here? Or is it just me? I think the lights need to be a little bit more. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. If uh, every time I talk about these, I always talk about them and I get excited because I really feel that God inspired them. And let me show you how much. These are not just 10 random core values, but really the way that God laid them out, they're a progression and they build upon, that's much better. Let there be light, said the Lord. Very good. They're a progression. They build upon one another. And I liken it to climbing a mountain and getting to the top and then coming down on the other side. Let's, re let's recap. Who remembers what our first core value is? And I'll explain to you what I mean by a progression. What's our first core value? Who remembers? Limitless acceptance, which means that we, no matter who it is or where they're coming from or what their background may be, that just as God has accepted us limitlessly, we accept somebody, everybody else. Anyone who walks through the doors of our church is the most important person, no matter who they may be. We limitlessly accept them. We don't set any barriers or any boundaries because God didn't do that for us. Who remembers the second one? Whoa. <laughs> who remembers the second one? Authentic community, very good, which talks about how we believe not just in limitless accept and everyone come into this group right here and just a group of 10,000 people who we accept everybody, but the goal is to accept in and then to build depth. And that's what authentic community is all about. It's about we reject superficiality in our relationship with God and one another. And the goal is limitlessly accept and everyone comes from every walk, every nation, every whatever, but then we build depth and quality in our relationships and the two go hand in hand. The third one, I'll just help myself out right here. Let's go transformational communal worship. And that is that our, our community, our relationship together is not just, we're not a country club. We're not together because we just like each other, have similar hobbies, or we vote the same way, or we think the same way about sports. We are united by the presence, the real presence of God in our midst, the table of the Lord, the altar by which we participate in the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ. So for us, that table is what unites us. We unite with Christ and therefore we unite with one another. But then we don't stop worshiping when we leave church on Sundays. Who remembers our fourth core value? Our fourth core value is passionate pursuit of God. All right, and we talked about how what God hates, what makes God want to vomit is lukewarm. And God sees the lukewarm Christian. He's like, Ugh, ah, I can't, that's yucky. Lukewarm is yucky to God, makes him want to vomit. So we are not going to be that. We're not just gonna stop worshiping when we leave church on Sunday. 
we're going to passionately pursue God through our Bible, through our prayer, through our service, through our fellowship, through anything that we can to continue to pursue him Monday through Saturday, not just on Sundays. The next one is the one we talked about in life group this past week. For those who attended, who remembers what you talked about in life group this past week was? Christ-like integrity. I heard no one say it. Okay, very good. That's fine. I got good self-esteem. Don't worry about it. I got the answers up here. Christ-like integrity, which is what we talked about this past week. For those who are, are kind of new here, what we're doing is we're talking about every other one on Sundays and then another one during life groups throughout the week. So that's why, let's say you missed that. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Christ-like integrity. We talked about how the measure of our spiritual growth, there has to be spiritual growth. The true measure of spiritual growth is not our knowledge, but our obedience and not our talk, but our walk. And true spirituality is not something that, that you can measure by how many prayers, whatever it may be, but it's measured by our obedience to God and our living Christ-like life. And then last week, okay, number six, who remembers what we talked about last week? Faith-filled vision, where we talked about we believe in a big God. Uh, we are not surprised when our big God does big things. We rely on him for extraordinary things. And for those who remember last week, we said we are more surprised when God does not do a miracle than when he does. We're not surprised by miracles. We're surprised when no miracle. So here, now here's the fun part, okay? Follow me on this. The core values are like a trip up a mountain and then a trip back down. The first half is kind of like the work that we're putting in. So God limitlessly accepts us. And no matter what it may be, we accept and everyone is accepted in and everyone's welcome in. And then you're not just accepted and stayed there. Then brought into community, deep in relationship, in front of God, worship God together, transformational communal worship. And then we don't just stop worshiping. We go home when we worship God together so that we can hit the point, the pinnacle, the goal is Christ-like integrity, that we can walk and talk and think and act just like Christ would act. And then once you hit that pinnacle, the other side of the mountain is the fruit of that life. What is the fruit of the acceptance, the community, the worship, the passionate pursuit of God, and the Christ-like integrity? What happens next? The first half is like kind of what we do. The second half is what God does in us. And the first thing that God does in us, he fills us with faith. And we start to walk around like different kinds of people. And after we have that experience with God, we walk around not like regular people. And we see... You know what? Before I saw this, this layoff and I would have been a disaster. It would have destroyed me, but now I see it differently. I see someone talk about me behind my back. It doesn't, I don't view it the same way. I view it through a different lens. And everything on the second half, okay, which really focuses on sacrificing and giving and witnessing and sharing, is the fruit of the first half. And that is most, most, most true by today's core value that we're going to talk about. Number seven. Today's core value is irrational generosity. We are going today to talk about everyone's least favorite topic to hear about in church. Oh no, I came on the money week. Oh, I invited my friend a week that he pass around and sing a song and show pictures of poor kids in Africa. And they're going to just, look here. We are not going to talk about money today. We're not going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about is sacrificing and the two are not the same. And I believe oftentimes we focus so much on money and on giving to the neglect of the true spiritual principle, which is sacrifice. And here's what I'm going to say today. For you today, by the end of today, I believe if you give me a shot and you give me the next half hour, you're going to walk out of here today and say, you know what, Father Anthony? Let's talk about generosity again. I want to be more generous. And I've always been generous and I've always been giving. And you're going to walk out of here and say, you're going to say, oh man, 
I'm, um, I'm married and my husband is the one who does the giving and I feel like I get gypped. I want to go give. And you're going to say, oh man, I already gave this week. I wish I could have given again. You're going to walk out of here today. I know I got high expectations, but I believe in a big God, faith-filled vision, okay, who does extraordinary things. I believe you're going to walk out of here today and say, you know what? Hearing about giving, thinking about giving is not a negative anymore. I want to be as much of a giver as possible. And that's my job to try to convince you of that by today. And you say, that's irrational. And I say, right on target. Let's read it together. All together. What is irrational generosity? It is, we genuinely believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we seek opportunities to express our love to God by sacrificing our time and our money. So there's two, there's two things that go hand in hand. It's the time and the money. Both of them are equal. I'm not going to talk about time. Not because it's not important, but because we kind of talk about that. I want to speak specifically about the financial and the money aspect, but both of them apply. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about we are irrational, crazy people who genuinely think, we genuinely think that if I have $100, that I am actually better off giving away 10 of it and having 90 in my hand, I am better off than when I had 100. We actually think that. And you say, that's crazy. That's illog illogical. That's irrational. And I say, exactly. First thing, let's start off. I said it's about sacrificing, not about giving. Anytime you hear the word sacrifice, you think automatically of the Old Testament. In the, books, in the books of the Old Testament, God was very, very clear in a very elaborate system of sacrificing. Now, let me ask you a question. Put on your thinking caps here. When God told the people, I need you to sacrifice a pigeon. I need you to sacrifice a lamb. I need you to sacrifice an ox. Was the sacrificial system about the animal? Was God concerned about the animal? Was the animal the number one target? No, God doesn't care about pigeons, cows, oxes, birds. God doesn't care about that stuff. Then why did he make such a big deal out of the pigeons, the doves, and all that kind of stuff? Because it wasn't about the animal. It was about what went into the animal sacrifice, and that is the heart of love. And that's what we're going to see here today. If you go back to the early church and you say the early church in the book of Acts, compare them to us. Compare the book of Acts church to the us church. You would see a lot of similarities, but you'd also see a lot of differences. Okay, we know, for example, that they were big on community. And we may not reach their level, but you know, we're working in that area. They, were, they broke bread all the time. We do that, thank God. Okay, they would preach the gospel. So we may not be as good at preaching, but hopefully we're good at inviting. But there's one area. A glaring discrepancy, a major discrepancy between us and the early church. And I want to put a couple of verses up here on the screen, and you tell me what looks different between their church and our church. We'll go Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, starting in verse Acts 2.43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So someone say, okay, that's different, many wonders and signs. Okay, but let's keep reading. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. All the members of the church sold all their stuff, brought the money in the middle and said, who needs what? Can you imagine the stampede if we did that today? Can you imagine the number of people that would attendance church would spike? Okay, if they knew we were just giving away stuff for anyone who's got need, that's the way they did. Okay, maybe that's an outlier, Acts chapter four. Now the multitude, Acts 4.32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. No one said, this is my car. 
No one said this is my phone. No one said these are my, this is my coat. No one said this is my house. Everything was shared in common. We take these verses like easy, but this is like when you see one, two, three, four of them, you see it, it's a lifestyle that's different. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all were possessors, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one, to each as anyone had need. Does this sound like our church today? I'm not saying to go sell your house and bring me the money. Okay, I don't want that response. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is clearly there's a difference. There's a discrepancy. The way they sacrificed, the way they gave, like we give up, we say we'll make a big sacrifice. I'll give up my cup of coffee today to give to the poor. They didn't give up a cup of coffee. They gave up their house. We, out of our abundance, give. They, out of their nothingness, out of their poverty. So what I would say, what I would define that as this. I would say we are good at giving, but they were good at sacrificing. And the two are not necessarily the same. You know what another difference is between us and the early church? What other difference you see here in this verse between us and the early church? There's another glaring difference. The giving is a huge difference. The way they gave, the way they sacrificed. What else is a big difference? How about that? How about it says, with great power, they gave witness. And great grace was upon them. Do you think there's any chance they're correlated? Do you think there's any chance that great power and great grace was correlated with great sacrifice? Maybe. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. Like maybe God might be cheap with us on the grace and the power because maybe we're kind of cheap with him. And maybe they were the people that said, God, all that I have is yours. So then God said, well, you know what? Well, all that I have is yours. Maybe the two are linked together. Maybe if we stop counting pennies when it comes to giving, stop making excuses, stop asking, which I hear all the time, am I supposed to give before or after tax? You know my response to the people who ask that? I said, do you want a before or after tax blessing? Okay. Maybe there's a link between the power, the grace, the signs, the wonders, and the sacrificing. Today we're going to talk about an area that we don't like to talk about, but we need to talk about. And let me start off by telling you, this is not a, hey guys, the church budget. This is not like end of year. This is not, this is not nothing to do with any needs of this church. And I'll be right up front and tell you that if you are not currently giving to the church, all right, and then you feel like, you know what, Father Anthony guilted me into it, I will say don't. I will say don't give it. I don't want your money out of guilt. God, the church is not in need of anything. We are the ones who are in need of the giving. The church, just like God didn't need the, the donkey, God didn't need the animal, God didn't need the pigeon. The people were one who needed the sacrifices. Same thing here. Just in case you don't know, in case you're new to our family, we have the most generous people in the universe are members of this church. And this church has never been in need of anything financially because we have the most generous givers who I trust that will always continue. That's why some people ask me, one person, they asked me this one time when they were joining the church. They say, you never talk about money. I say, yeah, never, we, we, we don't talk about money. And they say, how's your church funded? I'm like, how your church funded? Like, what do you mean? They're like, where's the funding come from your church? I'm like, I don't know. Like the funding comes and people give. They're like, but you never asked the people to give. I'm like, it's because we got generous people right here. And I don't even need to say, you know, guys, like my, you know, the stage is, we don't do any of that stuff around here. 
Because we got generous people. This is not about what the church needs. This is about what you need and what I need. And what we need is this. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, but since you excel in everything, I believe this about our church family. I believe we have the best church family who excels in so many areas. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I say the same thing to you. I don't have any idea who gives what. I don't have any idea, okay? I don't see the finance or any of that stuff. But I say, and I look at this church family, y'all are the best when it comes to faith. Y'all the best when it comes to love. Y'all the best when it comes to acceptance. You guys are the best in every area. Be the best in giving as well. And I'm not talking about amount or I'm not talking about pennies. I'm, not, I'm talking about be the best. And that's what we're going to talk about today because what we need to do is we need to have this kind of attitude when it comes to giving. Did you know, for those who don't like to talk about giving in church, did you know the New Testament, the New Testament talks about a lot of important stuff. If you never read it, good thing to read. The New Testament talks about prayer. I'm sorry, talks about believing in faith. 272 times we see the word believe. 272 times. The word pray, 371 times in the New Testament. The word love, 714 times. The word give, 2,161. We shouldn't talk about giving in the church. Well, someone didn't send the memo to the New Testament writers. Because Jesus talked about giving a lot. The epistle writers talked about giving a lot. And the reason why is because it's not about the money. It's about worship and giving. Giving is an act of worship. You've heard the expression, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You've heard this before, right? You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. One time I thought about this, can you love without giving? And I started to think to myself, the people that I love the most, don't take this in the wrong way, they cost me the most. They do. The people that I love the most, they cost me the most. Both in a like in life way, they cost me the most, but in a financial way. And the two are correlated because as we say the expression, you put your money where your mouth is. Isn't that the expression that we use? Because true love is manifest in a financial kind of a way. And it's easy to say, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but my wallet, that's on me. That's not real love. How do we know that God loved us so much? God loved us so much. The most famous verse in Christianity. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. God loved us so much that he told us. God loved us so much that he visited us every Sunday morning from 9 to 11. God loved us so much that he pulled out his pocket and said, what's the most valuable thing that I have here? Oh, my son. And I give my son for your sake. Love costs something. And love that doesn't cost isn't real love at all. Book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 20, when God was telling the people of Israel about what the system of sacrifices looked like, he said this, when you come to worship me, when you come to worship me, none shall appear before me empty-handed. Okay, you got a runner. Very good. <laughs> none shall appear before me empty-handed. Was this like, like a capital campaign that the Israelites were doing? Was this like raising funds for, like, for, for, for a, new, a new icon in the church? Like, none shall appear before me empty-handed. This had nothing to do with building or money or, 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 or anything that the priest needed. It has nothing to do. It had everything to do with worship. 
It was saying when you come to worship, you need to know the principle. You don't come empty-handed. You bring an offering. You bring a gift with you. And the same is true for us today. What I want to convince you by the end of today is that we need to have this view of worship. We need to stop view, I'm sorry, of giving. We need to stop view giving as like a tax we have to pay. Like, uh, okay, here's 10%. You know what I mean? And we calculate it to the penny. We need to stop seeing it as like a, um, a tip that I give God. Okay, you know, the service was good in church today. Here you go. Here's a tip. We need to stop seeing it as a bribe. Okay, God, I really, really need help at work. So here, God, I'm writing a big check. Okay. And did you see me put the check in? We need to stop that. We need to view giving for what it's meant to be, which is an act of worship. And the same way we come before God in prayer, and we say, God, we offer you ourselves. We come before God in the word and we say, God, we want to worship you through this. Giving is the same way. It's an act where I say, God, you are number one. I trust you more than I trust anything else. I don't trust in money. I don't care about money. I care about you. And I put my money where my mouth is, literally. For those who attended the, the liturgy before, okay? For those who have attended the divine liturgy, there's something that we say that shows you the connection between giving and worship. One of the things that we say, near somehow near probably midway to the end or something like that, the deacon says to the people, pray for these holy and precious gifts, our sacrifices, and those who have brought them or sacrificed them. Pray for these holy and precious gifts, our sacrifices, the deacon saying this, so this is not God's sacrifice, this is our sacrifice and those who have brought them. Okay, let's break that down. Pray for these holy and precious gifts. What do you think that's about? That's about the bread and the wine, because what would happen, okay, in the early days, today, it's all that stuff is prepared, but in the early days, when you showed up at liturgy, people would bring bread, and people would bring wine, and people would bring water, and everyone was always offering and offering and offering. So it wasn't like they had the, 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 the bread maker guy, and that was like his job. What it was is people would offer and say, I made the bread this week. Okay, I'll do it next week. Okay, here I have, uh, I had a harvest of grapes. I brought wine. People would offer. And they would say, pray for these holy and precious gifts. Okay. And also our sacrifices. What's our sacrifices? What's our sacrifices? Who's the hour? What's the sacrifice? You know what that was? That was the guy who sold his land to put the money at the apostles' feet. That was the guy who sold his donkey and distributed to each one as he had need. There's a part to show you the connection between the worship and the giving. That giving is an act of worship. And every time we pray the divine liturgy, we pray for the people who have offered themselves through the giving. Is that you that's getting that prayer? Or are you watching that prayer go to somebody else? Today, oh, sorry, we'll get this verse, then I'll tell you what we do today. Here, connection between worship and giving. Ascribe, Psalm 96. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. This is worship. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. You cannot distinguish between worship and giving. Offerings and, and, and worship is the two, is the same thing. So if you are trying to worship God with your mouth, but not with your wallet, today, my goal is to convince you what you are missing out on. What I'm gonna talk about today is three benefits of giving. What I discovered is usually when we talk about like prayer, it's like, yeah, prayer will do this for you. We talk about Bible, yeah, the Bible will give you this. When it comes to giving, it's like you have to give. Okay, and we talk about what you have to do, but we never talk about what giving does for us. So I wanna do the opposite. I wanna say, this is what you're missing out on when you don't give. 
And these are the benefits of giving in the right way, cheerfully and worshipfully. This is what you are missing out on if you don't give. Three things. Benefits of giving. Number one, giving combats materialism. Giving combats materialism. Few people think of themselves as materialistic. Few people say that about themselves, I'm a materialistic person. But I believe that in the world that we live in today, materialism is an inevitability unless you do something about it. I believe the natural state of the, the world will push you towards materialism unless you are actively saying, no, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this to stop myself from being materialistic and giving is the number one thing. Let me prove to you that materialism is inevitable even if you don't believe it. If I were to say to you, everyone's gonna play this game. If I were to say to you now that you just found out that you just got a big raise, or how about a bonus? That you're getting a bonus, you get home today and you got a $2,000 bonus check. What's the first thing you think you're gonna do with it? How many people say, oh, I'm gonna give it? How many people say, you know what, that's great because I wanna, I, I wanna give extra this month? The answer is zero. We don't think that way. Even the generous people, we don't think that way. Because what materialism does, materialism is more equals me. I want more, I want more, I want more. And naturally, every one of us is inclined to think, oh, I got $2,000. Hey, that's great, that's gonna pay for that trip I wanted to take. Oh, that's great because I really needed a new car and that can be a down payment. Oh, that's great because, you know, I, uh, my kid needs braces. We naturally think that if I get more, I use it for me. That's materialism. And giving combats it because giving forces me just to go in the face of materialism and say, no, more doesn't mean for me, more means so that I can give more and be rich in giving. That's what St. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We read this today during the liturgy for those who are here. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Rich in good works. You know the word miser sounds a lot to me like miserable. And I believe that the more we hold on to stuff, okay, and I want to be rich in stuff, I want more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, the more miserable of a human being you'll be. You know why? Because you know the one who's happy in life? The one whose hands are open. Because the one whose hands are open can receive from God. The one who's clutching stuff and holding on to this, and God wants to give them blessing. They can't hold on to it because they're, they're clutching their, their stuff, their gadgets, their, 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 their possessions, as much as you're clutching it and holding on to it. God cannot give you more. But the one who is rich in good works, who is always giving and giving, and his hands are open, that's the one who God continues to pour and pour into his life. True story. This is a couple years back. We do this event here at the church called Love Your City. Can you ever participated in Love Your City events? Okay, very good. Lots of people have. I remember the very first Love Your City we did. This is basically, this is something where we love our community, Arlington, D.C. metropolitan area with no strings attached. So we just do all kinds of random projects. Sometimes we feed the homeless. Sometimes we go to a shelter for domestic abuse victims. Like we just do whatever. We pick a random event and we all go. And the first time we ever did it, the whole church came out. We were a group of probably like 150 people. It was a ton of people. And we were going to divvy up into all kinds of different groups. One of the groups was going to feed homeless in D.C., and they were making sandwiches. And that particular group is the one that me and my family were part of. Okay, so we all met up here in George Mason. We met in one of these rooms or whatever it was. And we probably had like 50 people in one of these small little classrooms, and we were trying to make sandwiches. And it was like assembly line, but there was like 
kids and adults and everything, and it was like salami flying and ketchup over here. Like it was just too much mess, okay? Those were there, know what I'm talking about. So then I said, I'm of no value in the making of sandwiches. I'm good at eating them, not so good at making them, okay? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna be a benefit. I said, all the kids, come with me. So I took all the little kids and I said, we're gonna go downstairs and we're going to you know, sing a song or share something. I just wanted to get them out of the room. So I brought all the kids downstairs. And we said, okay, and we talked about how we're giving and giving is good and we're gonna be generous and why should we be generous? And I just wanted to share some thoughts with the kids and hear from them. Just trying to waste some time is all I was really trying to do. Ask the kids, how do you feel about this experience? And like, share your experience. And one kid said, you know, whatever, it's nice to help. And one kid's, you know, made some, I don't know what he said. One kid, probably eight or nine years old, raised his hand and said, Father Anthony, I've received many gifts. Actually, I think this was like in February. So it was like shortly after Christmas. He said, I received many gifts for Christmas and I forgot about all of them, but I'll never forget what I'm doing today. Yeah. And I was like, wow. That's incredible. And then the next kid raised his hand. I'm like, what are we gonna hear from the next kid raised his hand? And I said, yeah, what, what do you share, you know, Johnny or whatever your name was? He's like, I need to poop. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Class dismissed, okay, back to the parents. Okay. But for those like 13 seconds, okay, it really hit me of like, you know what, even at the youngest age, like kids are so materialistic, like we train them to be materialistic. We just pour the gifts on them and more and more. And this little kid who was like eight or nine years old figured it out. They figured it out. That getting more doesn't make me happy. That giving more makes me happy. And you know this to be true. You know why? Because if getting more stuff was going to make you more happy, which is what we think. If I get more money, then I give more to myself. If that made us happy, having more stuff, if that made us happy, you would be your happiest ever right now. Because you today have more stuff than you've ever had. You have a level of income that you one day, back in the day, said, oh, if I ever get this level of income, I'll be so happy. And you today have more stuff but I don't think you have more happiness because of that stuff. The stuff lies. And the stuff says, make you more happy. And God says, actually, less will make you more happy. The more you give, you'll be more happy. Giving is an antidote against materialism. Number two, giving is a wise investment. And now I'm just talking straight numbers here. Giving is a wise investment. I know in this room right here, we have some savvy investors businessmen play the stock market and y'all understand that the goal of investing is to get the most return on investment so the goal is i give a dollar and i get a dollar and a nickel that's a good investment if i give a dollar and i give a dollar and i get back a dollar and a quarter that's a better investment the more i get back the better the investment is well jesus tells us about the return on investment the roi of giving. And he says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. I want to do some math for me. What's a hundredfold? A hundredfold means a hundred percent return on investment. Not like 5% interest, not like a dollar. This means a hundred percent means I give a dollar and I get back a hundred. I give a dollar and I get back a hundred. Not I give a hundred and I get back one. I give one, I get back a hundred. Anyone have a, a, a investment that's a better return than that one? Anyone? Because like, I'm like 0.0555% okay, is what my return on investment is for most of the stuff. He's saying right here, you give one, you get back a hundred. So is what I'm saying. 
then if you give financially, then God will bless you and you'll be rich? Is that what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, is that God, when you give him, I'm saying this, you will never outgive God. And no matter what you give God, he will give you more. And the cheapest thing that God could give you is money. Like if God's like, I don't like this person. I don't care about them. Here, take a hundred bucks. That's the cheapest thing that God could give you. Because what do you want? Do you want a big house? Or do you want a house that's peaceful? Do you want a new phone? A new car? A new gadget? Or you want a new heart? And a new marriage? A new relationship with your father, your mother, your sister, your brother? You want shoes that last? Or you want joy that lasts? I'll go with the joy. I'll go with the peace. I'll go with the blessing of God. And there is no price tag. You know this to be true. You know this to be true. There's no price tag that you could put on the blessing of God in your home, in your marriage, in your relationships. There's no amount of money that is comparable to the blessing of God. So if all you say is, okay, God, I'm going to give and I want more money, then you, sir, are a not wise investor because you want a return. You want play money. You want toys instead of the real deal, which is what God wants to give you. And I'll tell you even a better return on investment that you can get. I've told you all this before. This is how I think. Maybe you think this way. I don't know, but this is how I think. I think that one day, one day, I'm going to show up in the kingdom of heaven. And the doors are going to be opened. And me, like I'm kind of like socially awkward at parties and stuff like that, especially with new people. So I'm going to just try to keep to the corner, okay? Like not mess up the system, like trying to watch out, like what's going on, where the angels go, like, you know what I mean? And I'm going to stay in the corner and I'm just going to be like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to pretend like I know someone. And then someone's going to come to me and say, hey, Father Anthony. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and they're going to say, hey, Father Anthony, you know, it's so good to see you. I say, why? So good? I don't know. What, what's your name? And they say, my name is whatever. And you, they say, you know, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of me. What I, I didn't even meet you. I don't even know you. I don't even do anything. But they're going to say to you, to you more than me, because you're better than me. They're going to say to you, you gave to that church. You helped build that church. And that church saved my life. That church rescued my marriage. That church showed me who Jesus is. And you built that church like you were one of the people. Like I saw on the bricks of the church, like the heavenly bricks of who built this church and the foundation. I saw you were at the bottom. And you were there, you were like a cornerstone because you kept giving and giving and giving and allowing the church to expand, allowing the church to do cool things like, like put the video on the YouTube and have cool microphone. Like you allowed the church to do all those cool things. And because of you, I'm here. Did you know that you also, by your giving, like we're not messing around here in this church stuff. Like it's not like give because the priest wants a new rope. It's not like give because we want a, a, a cool new light here. Okay, that can really blind me. Okay, really make me sweat. We talk about giving in this church. Our church, we don't just exist for ourselves. We don't just exist for the people who are sitting here. We exist for the people who are not here today. As you won at one time, we're not here, and God brought you here. We exist for the people who are not here today, and we seek to be a blessing to our community, and we seek to be a lighthouse, a lighthouse that can bring many people to know God. 
So when you give to that, you have a share and an inheritance and a reward. St. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophecy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, mercy, with cheerfulness. What St. Paul is saying is like, look, I don't care what you do. Some of you are really good at teaching. Teach away. Some of you are very good at leading. You're in charge. Some of you are very good at ministering. Minister like your heart, like your life depends on it. And some of you are good at giving. That's your gift. That's a spiritual gift. God has given you the means to be very good at giving. You give with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You be the best stinking giver in the whole wide world. You give so much that it hurts because that's how we complete each other. And I'm telling you, you have a chance. As people in this church, I know God has really blessed you. You have a chance to really do something for great. You may not ever, you may not sing, you may not preach, you may not set up the stuff, you may not teach Sunday school, but man, oh man, you can build God's kingdom by your giving. With that said, again, I'm going to caveat on this one. I am not trying to coerce anyone into giving. There's a difference between coercion and invitation. I'm not trying to coerce you. And in fact, if you were like on the fence, whatever it may be, like I'm telling you, don't give. I'm not trying to coerce you. I'm trying to invite you to be part of something great. So first thing, giving is the anti-materialism. It's the antidote to materialism. Second thing, giving is just straight numbers. It's a wise investment. It's something smart to do with my money. And then third, this is what we all want in life. Let's just boil it down. We could have just stopped. We could have just done this one and done nothing else. Blessing, giving blesses my life right now. And I will go to my grave preaching this message. So many times people come to me and say, you know, and they tell me this story about job or finances or whatever, whatever, whatever. And they say, you know what, Father Anthony, I just can't give right now. And this is easy to do when they're not a member. Like if they're not a member of my church, then I can really go hard at them because I'm not directly, like there's no conflict right there. Okay, sometimes I maybe tiptoe, but if I say if it's not a member of my church, I say, you know what? You can't afford not to give actually. All the stuff that you just told me that you need God in your life, you need the blessing of God. Man, you can't afford not to give. Because what the scripture teaches us in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, is the generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will also be watered himself. This is a principle of life, is you, you reap what you sow. What you give is what you end up getting. All of life, not just money. The one who is very generous with criticism will receive a lot of criticism. He's generous with it. The one who is generous with encouragement will receive encouragement. The one who is generous with gossip will be probably receiving a lot of gossip. And the one who is generous in helping, people would love to rush to help that person. The generous soul will be made rich. The question is, what are you generous with? Because you will be made rich in that area. St. Paul says it this way, similar thing in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I tell people, they say, I can't afford to give. I say, man, you can't afford not to give. This is not the time when you're going through hard time to be stingy with God. This is not the time to cut God out of your life. This is the time where you need more God so you do not short circuit God's plan for your life. Now, with that said, am I saying that God will bless me in proportion to the amount that I give? 
Am I saying that God will bless me in proportion to the amount that I give? Like you remember like the whole indulgences thing that the, that the, that the Catholic Church did way back in the, the dark ages, whatever it was, and you have to pay for certain, is that what I'm saying? That like he who pays $100 will get like a $100 blessing? He who pays 1000 will get a $1,000 blessing? Like is that how God gives the blessing? No, this is very important. Listen very, very carefully to this point. That giving is not about amount, it is about attitude. Giving is not about amount, it's about attitude. My job is not to teach you and tell you you need to give this exact amount. It's not like everyone brings me their pay stubs and I tell you, okay, your amount is. Like I'm not the government, I'm not the IRS here. My job, I don't care how much you give. I care how you give. And my job is to teach just like every other subject. I don't tell you exactly what prayers to say. I don't tell you exactly what to read. I don't tell you exactly how much to fast. I tell you fasting is important, Bible is important, prayer is important. I care about attitude. I don't care about amount. The picture up on the screen is a picture of who? The widow with two mites. Famous story. Everyone knows the story about a lady who had only two pennies that she put into the treasury box. Jesus one day, story in Mark chapter 12, was standing outside of the temple. And everyone was walking up, and they had the money box right there, and people would put their money as they went in. And the way it was back then, people used to make a show out of it. So people would wear their fancy robes and their fancy stuff and flaunt their stuff and they would pour in the money. They didn't have checks back then or credit card. They would pour in the money and they would say like, take a bow, you know what I mean? Like, look how, how generous I am. And people would do that. And this poor old widow came by and she put two pennies in there. And Jesus said about this lady that she has given more than the rest of them. How? How you give she, more, she gave more than the rest of them? Well, the key to that whole story is the first verse in the story, Mark 12, 41. It says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how that people put money into the treasury. Not how much. Not how much, because if how much, this lady was the worst. She was only two pennies. Two pennies to get you nothing. But how, she was the best. Jesus praised her, not for her amount, but for her attitude. And Jesus praised her, if you, if you go with me on this one, in an irrational way. He was irrational. She has put in more than the rest of them. No, Jesus, like, no. Like math, like, uh, not really. No, no one has given more than this lady. That's irrational. You know, why she was, you know why he was irrational with her? Because she was irrational with him. Because every one of us would have said, lady, you got two pennies. Hold on to them. Like, we'll be okay. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to pay the bills this month if you keep your two pennies. But she irrationally gave, and Jesus irrationally gave right back to her. Because Jesus connected this for us when he told us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus was not praising the amount. He was praising the heart. Jesus was not saying that her how much was so great, but her how was so great because it was full of love and trust and it was a true act of worship. With that said, I want to wrap up here by speaking very practically about like where to start. Like, what do I do with this? How do I apply this? Okay, I agree on the principle of giving. What do I do practically? And again, if you are not convinced, you can ignore what I'm about to say. But if you are feeling in your heart like, you know what? I want to be more giving. I want to fight materialism. I want to make a good investment. I want God to bless me. Where do I start? Okay, what I would say the starting point is something that we speak about in a church circle. The starting point is tithing. Tithing is a principle you've probably heard before. Started way back in the Old Testament. It's not something I invented because I needed new shoes. It's something way back from God that talked about the first 10% you offer to God. Malachi chapter 3. 
verse 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Three times in those two verses, it says, rob God. Tithing is not really giving. Tithing is more not stealing. You say, hey, wait a minute. I have to give 10% of my money to church. And if I don't, then it's like stealing? The short answer is yes. But the explanation for it, you can see this in two ways. You can see this in an earthly way and in a spiritual way. The earthly way is very simple. The earthly way is, as a member of a church family, as a member of any family, everyone contributes to the expenses of the family. So you're a member of this family, you partake in the benefits, like no one charges you when you walk in, like everything is free. And as a member of this church family, it is your duty to contribute to the expenses of the family. This is not over and above. Like I don't come, like think of my own family. Like I paid the mortgage, it's not like, hey everyone, clap for me, I paid the mortgage. Like that's kind of my job. Like I don't say, Marianne, happy anniversary, I'm paying the water bill this month. Like that's my job. So it's not anything extra to pay the bills, to pay the rent, to pay the whatever it may be. That's in an earthly sense. In a spiritual sense, more importantly, here's an important principle. A hundred percent. Are you saying 10% of my money belongs to God? No, I'm saying 100% of your money belongs to God. And he lets you keep 90 of it. You know, parents will get this one. Parents, what do you do when your children, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old children, say, it's my room, you can't come in? I beg your pardon? This is my whatever. You can't touch it. Are you sure about that? Because you realize that actually everything here is mine. I teach my kids this lesson all the time. Anytime they say, you know, what do I, we have this? I'm like, you have nothing. Like your mother and I, we have stuff. You have nothing. You have no job. Like you have nothing. And I kind of feel like sometimes God is that same way. Like this whole house here, this is my house. I earned it. I'm nice enough to let you live in it and let you kind of stay in this room. But if I want to be in the room, it's my room. I think sometimes God is the same way with us. My money, beg your pardon? I earned it. Oh yeah? Because you realize in one second, you with your great brain, your great achievement, your great whatever, your great whatever, God snaps his fingers, your brain goes to vegetables. And there's people out there who are not less smart than you. They just haven't got as many breaks as you. So you don't say I got a lot of breaks. That's my money. Because I'd be happy if you would like to, did you ever see the movie Trading Places? Okay, I don't know if y'all remember that movie. Don't watch it if you haven't. Okay, but I hear about it in confession. Okay. But the whole principle is, don't think that just because you got a lot of lucky breaks in life, that, that makes you any, any, any better. Everything that we have is from God. And 100% belongs to God. And God gives us a chance to enjoy it all. It says, don't forget whose it is. This is the difference between an owner and a steward. Or let me make it more modern day language. An owner and a manager. The owner of the restaurant owns it all. You're the manager. The owner is far away. He doesn't, he's, so you're the manager, okay? And you're hired to do a job and you take care of stuff. You can boss people around. You do this and you put this over here and you sign this, whatever. But don't think for a second that you own it. And the owner walks in and you say, no, you don't have permission here. This is my, excuse me. We are not owners. We are stewards. And everything that we have belongs to God. And he, as a way to remind us of that, says, 
The first 10% belongs to me. Now, with that said, okay, I said the practical application is the tithing to the church. Three things. Number one, if you're a guest, you're just checking out the church here. Don't tithe. I'm telling you, I don't want you to tithe. In the same way that if I invite you to my house for dinner, I don't ask you to clean up afterwards. I don't say, hey, you know, like, you know how much that costs? Like, I don't do that. You contribute when you're a member of the family. And after you come to my house for dinner, and we show you the nice, and we, and we escort you out the door, we say, kids, let's go. And everyone starts working. Everyone pitch in because you're a member of the household. So if you're just checking out and you're just, you're a guest and you're visiting, I'm telling you, don't tithe. Tithing is not for guests. That's why I don't talk about it on Sundays. But when we have our church family meetings, that's when we talk about it. And that's when we talk about family business. So that's number one. Number two, let's say you are a member of the family. You say, this is my church. This is my church home. I want to start. But 10% is a lot. Here's what I'll tell you. I can't change the 10% that God said, because God made the rule, not me. But what I can say is this. It's okay to start small and build up. It's okay. Because I understand this is a shock. Like someone who lived their whole life without church, the two things when people join the church that are the hardest for them to understand in the church is fasting. I mean, I, I can't eat what I, what I want to eat. Like I have to eat what you tell me to eat. And giving. Because this is something that you lived your whole life potentially outside the church and you like this giving. So what I'd say to you is start with 2%. 2%. 2 is nothing. And then maybe after a couple months, go to three. Like you can start small, just like in prayer. I say to you, when people say, I want the liturgy, okay, just come for a little piece and then more and then more. So you can start small and then build up. So first thing doesn't apply to guests. Second thing, you can start small and build up. Third thing, build up. And what I want to say now is to the people who are faithfully tithing. And this is something you probably don't hear very often, but I realized this recently that we have done a disservice right here. If I don't teach you this and I don't tell you this, I'm doing you a disservice. In every area of your spiritual life, you have to challenge yourself. And you should not accept bare minimum of any area of your life. Never accept bare minimum. Never. I don't say my goal is to be bare minimum faithful to my wife. Like, what's the bare minimum before she leaves me? Like, I don't do bare minimum in any area of life. And we have done a disservice by preaching that bare minimum is good enough when it comes to giving. It's the only area where once you do the bare minimum, you think you've graduated and you are content. So what I would say to you, something that I personally, and I don't usually share about myself like I'm great or anything like that, but I would just say just something I want to share with you. I heard this sometime a couple years back. Someone who challenged himself to give more and more every year. And I have made it a personal goal of mine, like my family, that every year we give 1% more than the year before. This was three years ago where I'm 13%. And I would say, looking back on it, I don't regret that decision one bit. And my goal is, when we hit 2018, to go to 14%. And I would challenge you to do the same. Why stop at 10%? Why do you want only like the bare minimum blessing? Do you want more God? What do you, like how much do you love God? How much, how much do you want to worship God? When it comes to prayer, you don't say, okay, what's the bare minimum? I said my Our Father, I go to sleep. No, you can pray more. You can read more of the Bible. You can serve more and you can give more. I know people who have taken this challenge and they're at like 30%. And they're the happiest people in the whole wide world. And I'm going to challenge you. Again, I don't care about the amount. It's not, it's, not between, it's not between me and you. Like That's between you and God. But I want to challenge you not to be content with bare minimum and to push yourself in every area of life. Last verse. In case you're still not convinced. In case you're like, Father Anthony, you're making this stuff up. I'm going to give you one last verse. And this verse needs no explanation. Malachi chapter 3. In the very 
next verse, after he said the verse about you rob me when you don't give tithes, he says this, Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God, very rarely, I couldn't find any other area where he said, try me now in this. He didn't say, pray and try me. He didn't say fast and try me. But when it comes to giving, he said, try me now in this. That's why what I'm about to say, I don't do it on my own words. I do it on the words of God. I tell people this. I dare you. I, I double dog dare you to give generously for three months. And if at the end of those three months, you do not feel God's blessing in a tangible way in your life, you let me know, I will give you the money back. I'm dead serious. You try me. And I'm not saying like, try me like I have great faith, like God said it, so I'm pretty like FDIC insured, like God insured right here on this one. Try me now in this. You do it. You say, Father Anthony, you just want more for yourself. Okay, try me. Give faithfully for three months. And if you don't see any blessing in your life, come back to me and I'll, tell, I'll give you the exact amount. Because, very simply, every time we give and we tell God, God, I love you this much. I trust you. I worship you. God doesn't ignore that stuff. In fact, you know who else doesn't ignore it? There's a prayer that we say in the church every Sunday morning, but it's kind of early. It's in the morning raising of incense. You may never have heard it, but it's actually, it's actually a prayer for those who are giving and sacrificing. And I just want to read to you the words, and I want you to realize what you're missing out on when you're not giving. I'm reading to you the words. It's not on the screen, but pay attention with me. It says, the priest says, Remember, O Lord, the sacrifices, the offerings, and the thanksgivings of those who have offered to your holy name. The sacrifices, the thanksgivings, the people who the thank offers. And it says this, Lord, receive them upon your holy rational altar of heaven as a sweet savor of incense before your greatness. As you have received the gifts of the righteous Abel, the sacrifice of our father Abraham, and the two mites of the widow, so also receive these thank offerings of your servants, whether in abundance or whether in scarcity. So they're saying the same way you accepted Abraham's sacrifice, Abel's sacrifice, the same way you looked at that lady with the two mites, accept the sacrifices of all the people who are running into church to offer their offerings or online, whatever it may be, like whatever works for you, and receive them whether they are abundant, whether they are scarce. Those, even watch this one, those who desire to offer to you but have none. You see the spirit of the early church is people who are saying, I wish I could give, but my pockets are empty. But once something comes in, I'm going to give it. Like, reward them. So I'm saying even the guy who's giving nothing is getting more than you because of his desire to offer. Those who desire to you offer to you and have none. And those who have offered you these gifts this very day, watch now, this is the best. This is, this is what I want in my life. Give them the incorruptible instead of the corruptible. Give them the heavenly instead of the earthly. Give them the eternal instead of the temporal. What is the corruptible? The money and then the incorruptible. What is the earthly? The money, and the heavenly, the temporal versus the eternal. You're missing out on these beautiful prayers. And as they have remembered your holy name on earth, remember them also in your kingdom. That's what irrational generosity. Did I do a good job of convincing you? Y'all ready to give and give big? Let's read this together one last time. Irrational generosity says what? 
We genuinely believe it is more blessed to give than to receive, and we seek opportunities to express our love to God by sacrificing our time and our money. Jesus gave irrationally for us. No holds barred, no stops when he came to him giving for us. Now it's our turn to put our money where our mouth is and do the same back to him. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for all that you have given to us, the kindness and grace and generosity, which none of us is worthy of like 1% of anything that we've received. We pray you would help us to be faithful stewards of everything that you've given us on this earth, and that we would be smart and wise enough to trade in the earthly for the heavenly, the temporal for the eternal, the corruptible for the incorruptible. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, mine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.